Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. Hi, I'm Ashlyn. Hi, I'm Rihanna. We have had quite a week. Oh, boy. <laughs> Has it been a week? I don't know if you all are having a crazy week, but we have had the most insane technical difficulties known to man this week. Yeah, yeah. It's been trial after trial. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it, and we were still able to come out with an episode on Friday. But you might have noticed it's not the episode we were intending to make. <laughs> Yeah, we recorded the entirety of our Picard pilot podcast, and the sound was all messed up when we went in to edit it. So we are revitalizing (laughs) our system and everything, and we decided that we did not want to talk about the Picard pilot twice in one week. Yeah. It again. Yeah. So too instead, much brain activity. Yeah. Too much. And so instead, we decided that we are going to review Star Trek animated series pilot Beyond the Farthest Star. And honestly, don't you want that a week earlier than you think you would get it? I feel like the animated series I always needed as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. It's a gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> so we're very happy to be here reviewing this episode this week. And you know, it just will build the tension and will build your excitement for when that Picard episode does finally launch. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so let's jump into it. I have a little bit of yeah. history and Great. then I am so excited to talk about this pure gold episode. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> Yeah, Ashlyn, let's hear it. Let's hear how this whole thing came to life. Okay, great. Well, you know, we are jumping back in time a little bit. Rhian and I are definitely sticklers when it comes to chronology, and we know that the animated series is definitely out of order in our pilot podcast series. But we thought it was good to put it at the end of the series so we have something to contrast it with when we do the review of Lower Decks. And it's Star Trek's first foray into animation, and it's just going to be very interesting to see how these two shows stand up side by side. And so in some of this history I'm going to give you, it gives a little bit of insight into how Lower Decks is going to go. So here we are. We have wound the clock back to 1973, and Paramount and Gene Ronberry have finally agreed on launching the animated series of Star Trek. They have had a couple of missteps along the way. Poor original series was canceled in 1969. There was so much love for the syndicated episodes that happened in the following years that Paramount decided to capitalize on it and start creating a new show. Now, this was not the first time they had wanted to have an animated Star Trek series. While the original series was running in its second season, Lo Shermer had pitched to Paramount that he wanted to create an animated Star Trek show that was for kids and was educational, sort of like a magic school bus 
esque show, actually, <laughs> which is amazing to think about. Yeah. <laughs> because they wanted to capitalize on the popularity of Star Trek while it was on TV, much like Next Generation would later do with Deep Space Nine and now Discovery was doing with Picard. When you have a show that's really popular, in order to make money, you got to keep making more of that show. And so it's a good idea for yeah, Lil Shermer. But unfortunately, Roddenberry had a horrible relationship with Paramount. And it never launched. Mm. But interestingly enough, the original plot was going to be three teenagers that are on the USS Excalibur. And it would be a Vulcan whose name was Steve, a African-American boy whose name was Bob, and a Chinese boy named Stick. <laughs> oh, my God. Steve, Bob, and Stick. I can't believe yeah. the Vulcan was named Steve also. Can I know. Say how amazing that is. <laughs> I really had to pour one out for Steve when I heard <laughs> that idea. So, unfortunately, we never got to see that beautiful, chaotic show. So, isn't there supposed to be Star Trek Prodigy coming out soon, which is a kid's show? Yes, there absolutely is. So this is an idea that has not died. And thank yeah. you for bringing that up because it's just something else that we're so excited for. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So this show eventually was greenlit by Paramount and Roddenberry. Roddenberry, of course, his part of the deal said, I want to be in full creative control of this show. No <laughs> questions asked. No Paramount executives butting in. And they said, okay. And one challenge that they had in creating the show was that they initially were only going to feature the original voices of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. So they would only have William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly build, and the rest of the characters would be voiced by someone very cheap, just some yeah. other good voice actor. But Leonard Nimoy absolutely refused to do the show at all unless Nichelle Nichols and James Doohan were included in the cast. Yes. And he had his foot down. He just absolutely refused to do it. And so, of course, Paramount listens to Leonard Nimoy, the most popular Star Trek character. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have almost the full cast, but they could not get Walter Kendig as Chekhov, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he is absent from this episode. And so it's sad. We only have <laughs> two seasons of, of Chekhov total because he wasn't in the first one either yeah. of original series. But Oh, that is sad. The other good thing about this show was that there was a huge budget for it. There was $75,000 per episode budget, and it didn't have to be spent on special effects. And so most of the budget went to, of course, paying this very expensive cast, as well as paying the writers. And the job was so lucrative because they could spend all their money on people that a lot of the writers from the original series ended up writing for the animated series, and they were happy to do so because they were getting paid more. That's great. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy for them. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> I heard somewhere, and Ashlyn, you can confirm or deny this if you know any more information about it, that Nichelle Nichols also got a lot more artistic creativity and more of a stage on the animated series than she ever got in the original series itself. And I just thought, even in this episode, that she had a larger role than sometimes she gets in whole 
original series episodes. Yes, that is so true. I read Nichelle Nichols' autobiography, Beyond Ahura, uh, several years ago, and she mm-hmm. talks about this because she, of course, famously wanted to quit Star Trek while she was filming the original series, and Martin Luther King told her to stay on, that she was an icon for Black women everywhere, and he was mm-hmm. totally right. Yeah. But one thing that she was so excited about in the animated series and something she was pushing for in the script was that Ahura gained a larger role. And having seen the rest of the animated series, she does have a more prominent role and she becomes a real star of this cast. Absolutely. I just think that that's amazing that finally she gets some sort of platform. It's a shame that she couldn't have done that more and she faced so many roadblocks during the original series. But you know, at least she gets this time to shine. I think that's really awesome. Absolutely. Well, and it's lucky that they had already had a successful run of the original series. So people knew that they liked her and it wasn't a risk putting her on TV like it was when they first casted her in the show. Well, I'm curious, Rihanna, if you could explain this episode as poorly as possible for me. (laughs) Where to begin? (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) In another away mission gone wrong, they desert an entity to a life of solitude. <laughs> Do you just mean con? <laughs> Is the space seed? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, so true. I got such space seed vibes from <laughs> that ending was so dark. We can talk about it more, but I was Wait. shook. <laughs> okay, Ashlyn. Now I would like you to explain as poorly as possible the episode Beyond the Farthest Star. New animation, new music, new people at the helm. Same exact plots as before. (laughs) Yep, that's very correct. (laughs) Yeah, that's just how I felt. (laughs) So launching in, since you said new animation, I kind of want to talk about the animation itself uh, for this show. Honestly, for it being the 70s, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Like, of course, now animation is so much better. And it's incredible to see how far animation has gone. But as far as the 70s go, I think that this was pretty great and also gives me a good laugh you know even though it's not very good sometimes and the angles are off sometimes when a her is sitting on her chair it looks like she's like (laughs) laying down laying down yeah (laughs) like they all look kind of like they're laying down and they all have very strange angles on their faces which is one of my very favorite features about the animated series (laughs) well and it's clear that they were reusing these shots several times like there's a standard shot of kirk with mccoy behind him or kirk's face really zoomed up and then you see spock in the background or something like that these are shots that you can use in every single episode and no one will notice because it's all on the bridge for every episode and then of course they will do different animation for whatever planet or whatever the plot is but i think they were really thinking in terms of keep the budget down. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I was thinking about, because I've seen the cartoon part of the Star Wars holiday special, Mm. and that came out in 1978. And so you can see a little bit of the difference if you've seen that particular cartoon Mm. before. You can get kind of a sense of how the animation style was. I think this 
is a lot more basic animation just in general. But I thought when they were down on the spaceship, I thought it was kind of beautiful. I really liked in the simplicity. It was really beautiful. And it kind of felt like a coloring book to me, not in a bad way, just in a way that made me use my imagination while I was looking at it. Absolutely. You can tell that the artists who animated and drew out these different scenes were very creative about how to make this alien ship look and how the interior looks. And as usual in Star Trek of something that I've always loved about the original series is their use of primary colors and of the aesthetic is so strong. And I love that they kept that going in the animated series. I totally agree. And it just makes it iconic. You just know, like, this is Star Trek. (laughs) So true. Another thing I wanted to discuss was the fact that the voice actors, I mean, obviously, like, (laughs) the ones who probably are hired voice actors who aren't the original cast, they, I feel like, did really well. Obviously, none of the original cast has voice actor training, as far as I know. (laughs) Yeah. So you could kind of tell that they're looking at it from a place of, we're just putting audio to a regular original series episode. Yes. I think maybe with the exception of Spock, for the rest of the main cast, I don't think there's really a sense of urgency in a lot of these episodes, or they're really thinking about what the situation means. (laughs) Also, yeah, I felt like a lot of their reactions were very muted. Like something crazy dramatic happens, and they all just sort of are like, ah, interesting. And you're like, what? Well, I have two possible answers for you, Rihanna. Mm -hmm. One is that I know not for this episode because it was the pilot, but as the series went on, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner had such busy schedules because they were being hired to act in plays and other TV show episodes that they ended up recording the lines for the animated series just in their hotel rooms in any city that they happen to be in. So these were not done at a studio necessarily. They were just done like in a closet at a Hampton Inn in Pennsylvania, you know, (laughs) something like that. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, because again, it's about cheapness. You don't have to rent a studio if you have the elegant tones of Leonard Nimoy, I guess, (laughs) is their theory. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think that was done for this pilot. So that's just the raw talent of our cast we have here that we hear in this episode. But later on, that definitely happens. And then I also think in these scenes where they have very muted reactions, I wonder if the music was perhaps too exuberant that it overemphasized the drama of the situation because that was something I would wanted to talk about was how amazing the music is and how it pulls you in and you want to dance to it and you get stressed when there's a lot of tension it really creates a beautiful scene but then you have Kirk saying the planet is over there you know instead of what he would yeah 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 the music is really excited and so i think there's definitely something behind the scenes some people are not talking to each other but that's okay (laughs) and it's part of the charm also of the animated series absolutely i totally agree with that i wonder how much people loved it back in the day when it was coming out if kids were really into it or like what was the target audience for this show i can't tell this is something i should have mentioned before but when dc fontana and gene ronberry teamed up they both agreed that they wanted to create 
a show that was for both children and adults. Mm. And so I think maybe that weakened the show by not choosing an audience. But I would also say that the original series was yeah. was acceptable for adults and children. I do remember our stepdad, because we, we watched a lot of animated series a couple of Christmases ago, and he walked into the room and he was like, oh my gosh, I used to watch this when I was a kid. Mm. This used to just come on randomly and it was always so goofy, which I totally agree with that review. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that it has a great deal of nostalgia for the original series and for that time. Yeah. For a lot of people as well, which makes it so lovable and something that I can really enjoy. Well, and I think it's a good placeholder for really diehard fans because it is Star Trek, but it's not quite Star quite. Trek, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's the heart of Star Trek, but it's just, you know, missing something. <laughs> yeah, they don't have enough time to fit in these core values or these very intense moments of Star Trek that they could put into the original series. I guess it's just the the real sense of drama is not there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, I think that's also why I like it because it's mm-hmm. just fluff Trek that I can watch and I'm not going to cry. Well, actually, I might cry. There's one episode mm-hmm. that is very moving. But, yeah. you know, it's something that I can just watch and have a great time always. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. And I also thought that it was smart that they kept all of the original sound effects for the ship and the beaming sounds, the chirping of the bridge that is so iconic in the series. Yes. I'm really glad that they, I mean, I'm sure it's easy to just overlay them into it, but it just really helped me to feel like I was placed in that moment. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. In addition to keeping kind of the continuity of the sounds and everything on the bridge, I do like how they expanded their technology a little bit and that the characters, when they beam down onto the ship, they had life support belts. And that was so cool. I don't think so we've cool. seen that wow. used. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they've even taken that into any of the future shows. And I love how elegant the design of it was because when you see them down on the ship, you just see a yellow <laughs> line surrounding Scotty and you know that his quote unquote shield is up, <laughs> that he can breathe oxygen and walk around like he's in a spacesuit but transparent. It's the coolest thing. It's really clever. And it also hilariously reminds me of that they all look like saints. (laughs) (laughs) Little halo around their bodies. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, there definitely are little angels in space. Absolutely. (laughs) And yeah, I think that the animated series could probably take more liberties with technology because the animation is easier to do than in that setting. So then how would they do that for the original series during that time, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And it's funny you say that because I think that's the only innovation with technology that I see in this episode besides the alien, which is just an alien. Another alien of the week. Yeah. The one quote I did really like from this episode was when they are down on the spaceship and they're looking around that all the pods are smashed and that clearly something bad has happened to the ship because everybody's gone. Spock says, a physiological symptom of latent primal superstition, the fear of primitive people confronting something unknown to them. So Mm -hmm. this is when Scotty is saying that he's afraid of what's happening and Spock is just calling him out and he's like well you're primitive and that's why you're experiencing fear but I I did I did like that because 
I definitely experienced that. Like sometimes I feel my primitive instincts come through and it was just nice to hear Spock yeah. bash the humans a little bit. I do like though when I think it was either Kirk or McCoy who comes back with- it's McCoy. Yeah. McCoy who comes back with, you're primitive to them too, Spock. <laughs> yes. Yes. I thought that exchange was excellent. I yeah. really liked it. Yeah. Absolutely. And another quote I wanted to- also talk about was when they're back up on the ship and they're talking about how much time it's been that this alien has been waiting for a starship to come along that it can hitch a ride back into the universe Mm -hmm. and mccoy said that's just an instant in eternity which Uh, it it was very poetic at that moment i was like wow like mccoy dropping some poetic knowledge you know dc fontana was in here writing these scripts and she was like oh a little bit of sugar for them you know (laughs) (laughs) spock can say this mccoy can say that (laughs) yeah exactly and that's the thing is that at its core star trek never loses its philosophy and its deep thinking even when it's in this cute little animated setting okay so as per my badly explained i want you to name rihanna as many episodes as you can from the original series that involves an entity waiting for a starship to appear in order to take it over and fly away i think the ultimate computer at least tried to take away uh there's some that like kind of fit this bill i have a couple i'm thinking of space seed of course which i joked about because con um god from the final frontier that was ultimately god need a star yeah 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 um also harry mud did the same thing i was also thinking i think the episode nomad yep yes yes obsession when that cloud came on yeah it's pretty constant in the original series it's a very good trope (laughs) yeah and you know it works i also love because they're putting a lot of emphasis obviously it's the episode title beyond the farthest star so this is an extension of their five-year mission that we never got to see on Mm -hmm. the original series and so it's cool to see that the further out they go they find even more beings who just need a lift (laughs) (laughs) yeah honestly and also another trope i found in this episode is when the entity is like searching the databanks and it's like shows the lights flashing very quickly it's like it just absorbed all of the memory and i'm like wow like that (laughs) what has that ever happened before (laughs) that's a key plot of star trek discovery in the second season so (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to this day, we're still using these tropes yeah. they work. These tropes work so well. <laughs> and they've become legend at this point. So now you have to use them. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> Absolutely. Another thing that very much delighted me about yes. this episode and further episodes to come are the amount of times they show them animated running towards uh, the camera. Yes. And their shoulders are all broaded and their <laughs> arms are like swinging. It is just one of my very favorite animations that they do in the animated series. Oh, work, works of art, truly. <laughs> I also loved Kyle's mustache, the transporter. The guy who was working at the transporter, he had a beautiful Harry Mud-esque mustache. Yeah, he's and then more handsome. Oh, I don't agree, but that's <laughs> fine. Um, but then Kirk just pushes him out of the way to take control of the transporter. I just was admiring Kirk's faith in Kyle. <laughs> Yeah, okay. He runs towards him. I thought just to help him, but he 
pushes him aside. I was laughing so much. Also, the fact that Kirk is very hands-on in the animated series cracks me up because yes, yes. it's not like Mr. Sulu, activate this. You know, instead he's like out here doing flips and um, Kirk rolls. A lot so of Kirk rolls. rolls. So there's this beam that is turned on. Yeah, uh, there is. At the ceiling of the bridge. And it has these lasers coming out of it. And it just like shoots Spock. It shoots Kirk. And I guess their belts protect them, but it still hurts. I don't know. Did you have any understanding of that scene? Whatsoever? Oh, no, no, no understanding. <laughs> I think there's a couple of leaps of faith in logic that you have to do just to fill in what they forgot <laughs> to write. Yeah, fill in those gaps. Uh-huh. I did not know what was going on. But, you know, we don't get very much information about the plot itself. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of have to imagine what happens. <laughs> In those holes, in those gaps. Yeah. (laughs) That's another thing I found very chaotic about the animated series is the fact that things go so fast because, of course, they're only 20-minute episodes. So we're so used to long trek that these short-form 20-minute episodes have to move at the speed of lightning. (laughs) So um, here we are. They're down on the spaceship. And that they go into this room and the doors lock and then they're talking to this entity who's telling them like, get away. Beautiful, (laughs) beautiful voice. Yes. And then it just starts exploding and things just start being demolished. And then they're back on the Enterprise and then there's like a whole other thing going on. And then next scene, Scotty's like trapped. (laughs) I just sort of love and also just have to embrace just the utter chaos that can sometimes be the animated series. Oh, yeah. Well, and I actually did not realize that was Scotty because I don't think it really looks like Scotty. He's a very buff engineer in the animated series. He really looks like Kirk. And I'm wondering if that's just the limitations of of whoever's animating this right. or maybe James Doohan insisted he had to look really good for this. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's some flashes when they're trying to do a side profile where I can barely tell which actor they're trying yeah. to portray here it's so funny if they had white shirts on i could not tell them apart oh, except spock no. probably <laughs> except mccoy has wrinkles so we know oh, who true. mccoy is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also the fact that kirk in this episode is so ready to just self-destruct the ship he's yes. like Scotty, go get the self-destruct sequence ready <laughs> Well, and I was wondering, maybe they were trying to have high stakes for the first episode. I mean, that's very pilot-esque, you know, get people excited, show them what the ship can do. I hadn't thought about that when you mentioned a little bit earlier about how quickly they have to get through the plot. You're definitely right. And I think that's also why I felt a little off kilter for this was because they had to give us the plot in such a short time. And so I think Star Trek really thrives on these little details and character building moments that we normally have in the original series. And without any of them, I think that's what they sacrificed in order to have a complete plot play out throughout the episode they sacrifice these little character moments like them all laughing at the end because spock told a joke that he didn't mean to tell or mccoy calling him a green-blooded hobgoblin we're missing these treasured moments where spock says he doesn't want the soup and he throws it at the wall you know and i think that as the series progresses i do think they add more of those moments and the writing gets a little bit more fleshed out but for this i really didn't feel like we had any real character moments Leonard Nimoy just counted down so he times, actually yeah he had a lot of countdowns I thought that was about half of his lines was saying 60 
59 and then maybe like three minutes later 40 39 you know yeah i completely agree that it does sort of feel like it's missing the key element of these beloved characters and Mm -hmm. their interactions i think it's funny that the dynamic they really wanted to keep was the mccoy and spock banter yeah virtually nothing else yeah (laughs) they're like this is our ride or die mccoy and spock have to be arguing about something you know i mean i think the only moment in this episode where i felt any sort of genuine concern from anyone is Mm -hmm. when spock was getting hit by that laser yeah and goes over because he's in love with him you know and he's jumping yeah naturally i'll let you have the ship or whatever you know (laughs) let spock go and then he comes over and he's like are you all right and he's like yes captain and then it's just done Yeah, I actually, I found some drama too. I thought that was a very successful scene. (laughs) Also, the fact that Kirk leans into Spock a little bit after that scene and he he goes, Spock, can you calculate this in your head? So we're doing it on the computer, then we are not able to function, whatever. I just think that it is so awesome how Spock is just like, sure, Captain, I'll calculate this very massive, difficult equation that a computer should be doing in my head. No big deal. I mean, it also just shows the standard to which all science officers are now held. If you get hired to be a science officer, you have to be able to calculate the trajectory of a slingshot in your head. You know, that's fine. You know, actually, recently I was just watching Trials and Tribulations, the Deep Space Nine episode, and there's a scene where Dax rattles off all of the oh, well, a triple reproduces this much in an hour, this much in the day, you know, whatever. This is how many triples would be on the ship. And then about five minutes later, Spock's doing the exact same calculations. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And shows you exactly what you're saying. Like these Starfleet science officers are not even allowed to take a day off ever. No, (laughs) no. We always rely on them. And I also get the sense that true Star Trek spirit when they are beaming down onto that spaceship because like they don't have to be investigating this. It's just this thing that's been like hanging out in space. It looks like junk to me if I were to pass by it. I just think it's so cool that they're still just exploring strange new worlds, discovering whatever they can. Absolutely. Yeah. What were they going to just like a routine survey? Yeah. It just says that they were on a star charting mission. I I kid you not. That's how the captain's log basically ends. He's like, we are on a star charting mission. <laughs> like, okay, thank you. Kirk. And so that's their directive. They're not going towards anything. They're not meeting up with anyone at a planet or going to refill on dilithium. Yeah. Um, so I think now we should talk about the ending of this. Yes, please. <laughs> so as I mentioned in my poorly explained they essentially find a way to get rid of this entity who's trying to take over the Enterprise. And Spock described this entity as a parasite, or he also uses the symbiote and host vernacular, you know, that we're kind of used to with trails. I kind of liked that. I liked it too, yeah. Yeah, this being has been on this ship, stranded for... 300 million years? Yeah, it has been there alone for 300 million years, That's just so many years. (laughs) Are you kidding me? And so then we have this ending where no diplomatic discussion takes place in this entire episode. All that happens is that they are able to trick this entity to sort of become, what, a host of the planet? A symbiote of the planet? Yeah. I don't know. Question mark? Science? 
question mark. (laughs) We don't need it. No, we don't need it. And so anyway, then these last few lines of the episode, this entity is going, please, I'm so lonely. Do not leave me here alone. I've been so alone, you know. So anyway, I just thought it was very dark and not addressed. You don't even see these characters looking at each other in concern or talk about it at all. Kirk knows we're going to have to chart some stars. It was unreasonably cruel, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Not what I think even the original series would do. Yeah, but Khan tried to take over the ship and I would argue that he deserved the eternal uh, loneliness. And at least he had his whole crew with him. Yeah, this entity has been waiting for all these years by itself. And I feel like there should have been some sort of discussion from Kirk, like, we'll make a deal with you. You can hitch a ride and we'll find a species like yours. (laughs) You know, some sort of like, we'll keep you in this jar and let you off at the nearest, you know, like, or... Promise you won't be evil. I don't know. It's just, there's so many ways that could have at least discussed it before they abandoned him on this remote dead star (laughs) for eternity. (laughs) And it's so horrible how he's crying, saying, help me, so lonely. I mean, it really is pitiful. (laughs) And I'm just so shocked that that is also something that... (laughs) I guess Gene Rodberry and DC Fontana did not deem necessary to have the diplomatic (laughs) parts of this episode come through whatsoever. Yeah, I I guess not. Well, and I mean, this isn't really first contact because the entity knows what a spaceship is, but it's first contact with the Federation. You got to at least say hello, shake his hand, try to be reasonable with him. Exploring strange new worlds doesn't mean abandoning strange new creatures. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was a very brutal ending for a episode that was pretty (laughs) lighthearted. Yeah, and the music just sort of is like do 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 anyway. You know, and then it's over and we're flying away. And oh. he's going off to continue star charting. <laughs> so yeah, Kirk can't be bothered. He's gone. Yep. <laughs> See ya. It's all good. <laughs> we'll catch you when we're coming back this way. Right. <laughs> That was very shocking. And there are a couple of animated series episodes that are similar to that, if I remember correctly. Like, I remember being equally as shocked in some other episodes. So I think they sort of lacked that empathy in Starfleet in these animated series. I think it's just like people weren't rereading these scripts and they just write something and the actors are not necessarily together and playing off each other for this. And so you just have these weird moments that are just kind of unexplainable. But, you know, it really adds to the overall charm of the animated series. And I can't really fault it for that. It's pretty fantastic, this show, in its sometimes cringy, sometimes chaotic ways. I think you have to know what you're getting into. If you watch this episode of the animated series and you don't like it, I should say you should not proceed because they're all going to be like this. Maybe they get a little bit better and we get some cool character studies Mm -hmm. a little bit later on, like episodes that only feature Ahura or only feature Spock. Those are some of my favorite ones. But otherwise, this is what you're going to get the whole time. And so, I mean, this is no DS9. This is no no Discovery. (laughs) This is not smart trick. This is the animated series. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And, you know, for that, gotta love it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, I still had a great time watching this. And we're criticizing it because this is what we do. But overall, I will watch the animated series over and over and over again. It is a good break when you've been watching a lot of, say, Picard or Deep Space Nine or like some of season six of Next Generation where things are kind of intense, you know, it does add a little bit of lightheartedness that the original series often had that sort of same flavor to me. Mm-hmm. Had this, when I think of lighthearted when it comes to Star Trek, I really only think of the original series and the animated series to sort of utilize those terms. <laughs> yes. And of course, there are parts of the original series that are not lighthearted, but I think overall, it's definitely the show with the least stakes. Yeah. And the Overall. tone was definitely more about the exploration yes. and the characters that you grow to love on this ship. And I think that, yeah, the animated series was really sort of mirroring that type of just fun, crazy shenanigans that yes. the Enterprise get up to. I totally agree. We're not yet into serious Trek TM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that it can be viewed as a companion piece to any of the other Star Trek shows. And that's exactly what they were trying to do and what they are doing currently with Lower Decks because we have these very serious shows on right now. Discovery goes in and out. I think it is comedic and very dramatic, and it does a great job walking that line. Mm -hmm. And Picard is very serious for the most part, much like its character. Picard is also very serious. So I think having Lower Decks on to mix up the flavor and to invite so many other tones and viewers into the world, I think it's very exciting. And I am so happy that we have the animated series as a guide. (laughs) It's like the first foray into animated trek that then paved the way for lower decks so yeah gotta respect the roots (laughs) it's beautiful the the circle of life so please join us next week when we will have our review of the pilot episode of star trek picard remembrance and you will finally be getting that episode a little bit out of order but we do not fear here at the dara sisters (laughs) please join us on our patreon podcast because we have now seven episodes out as of today, the day that this airs, and we have been doing trivia back and forth the whole time. And we have one more episode of trivia, and then we will be doing the final Klingon battle, where Rihanna and I battle for ultimate victory, and we will win a prize, one of us will. So please join us for that. And then after that series is done, we will be starting our review of Lower Decks. Right after we release the pilot for everyone to listen to of Lower Decks, we will then be reviewing the rest of Lower Decks on our Patreon. So you can donate to listen and we would very much appreciate it. Yeah, any dollar amount will get you there. Please catch us at patreon.com slash Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. And we had a blast recording this episode and we will see you next week for Star Trek Picard's episode, Remembrance. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please join us next week when we review the Star Trek Picard pilot, Remembrance. If you like what you heard, please follow us under the Dura Sisters podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you would like to become a monthly patron, 
Please go to patreon.com slash the Jura Sisters podcast to receive exclusive content and to hear our reviews of the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. And please give us five stars and leave us a review. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. Our outro, Worf's Revenge, was written by Arturo Voltaire. And remember, real Trekkers work out at the He's Dead Gym.